praise the Lord. Well, I have a word today that I believe was from the Lord's heart. I just wanted to share this first. It's not even my sermon, but it was something that I was meditating on, and I believe it'll, it will segue in to the word today. But I began to just meditate on the basics of our faith. Sometimes we get so used to being a Christian that we even forget what that means. Sometimes we forget basic principles. Dan, how big is our word, right? Dan remembers the entire Bible, (laughs) verse by verse. But he is an enigma. He's faster than ChatGPT. But the Word of God is uh, filled with life. There's so much life in it, and it's relevant today just as much as it was when it was penned down. And it's only called archaic, and it's only called outdated or something I don't understand because people are trying to look at it from a natural human point of view. And who knows that as we come to Christ, the Word just starts unraveling more and more and more, and we start to say, I get it. I really do get it. But then who can testify as mature believers that you suddenly read the same Scripture you've been reading, and you say, I didn't get it, and now I do get it. And then now you had a revelation, and the Lord, five years from now, he unravels it even to another level, and you say, wow, I thought I understood it, but now I really understand it. And who knows that's going to continue. And I was just thinking about just the basic, basic, basic foundation. You know, it was called a gospel of peace and a message of hope. And I just began to meditate on the simplicity of what that meant. Why would Jesus need to bring a gospel of peace if the world already had peace? Why would he need a message of hope if we already had hope? And I know this is so, so simple. But the world can only offer a tiny copy of the real thing. Sometimes we get a glimpse of peace. Who's had a glimpse of peace? Maybe it's a serene lake that you love. Maybe it's just tea on the front porch. Maybe it was seeing a child born where you you just feel so filled with hope. But really, even an amazing miracle like a child being born, which God did give, is still only a glimpse. It's not, that's not real hope. It's actually just a physical glimpse of who God is and of of his immense beauty, his wonder, his greatness, and ultimately what he wants to offer us, which is hope and peace. And so I began to meditate on this, and I wanted to remind us as believers here in this room of this same exact principle that Jesus has come to give you hope and peace. And many times uh, we don't realize that we have just turned slightly enough. We get so used to being a Christian that we forget what he came and offered us to begin with, which was hope and peace. And many times we become consumed with the world and what it offers, and it has robbed us 
of our hope and peace. Sometimes we're consumed with fear instead of trusting God, and that robs us of our hope and peace. Sometimes we become consumed with things and goals and just worldly ideas. And I be just this is the whole point. The only way to get back to the hope and peace that Jesus offered is to abandon everything we know, everything we've put our hope and trust in outside of Jesus. It is that simple. It is the most the hardest thing for a man to do or a woman to do, mankind to do is my point, because Jesus came and offered it, and the man who had many things, he said, but Lord, I, you know, he says all, he says, he says, just, just go and sell everything and come and follow me. That's it. It's very simple. But he had so much stuff, and it doesn't mean things, but just so much attachment to this world. It's the hardest thing for us to do, to lay down our attachments to this physical world that will, it will end. This world is not going to continue, and your ties can just be to its security, just to this ground. It doesn't even have to be things just that you, you're just so tied to this earthly realm. You can't imagine that this earth is going to end and that there is eternity, and you're so tied to this earthly place, just the, even just the ground itself, that we miss Jesus who is the only answer. It's so simple, and yet it's the hardest thing for us to do, but I just wanted to remind us today to just become dependent upon him, lay, give him everything, just everything. We need, if he came to offer me hope and peace, I know, Lord Jesus, even if I think I have it, I'm just going to abandon afresh and say, Lord, I need that. I need hope in you you are my only hope. Maybe it's skewed a little bit, and I want to bring it back to focus. Praise the Lord. So I hope that that encourages you today. And just bring. it's going to segue right into, even though what my sermon is today is not quite that, but I feel like it, was, it needed to be said today because these basics of our faith, some of the basics of our faith are things like repentance. Repentance is not a word you hear in the church much anymore, is it? Now, you hear it in this church, and again, I don't compare. I've never mentioned another church denomination, have I? You guys know me over eight years. I've never mentioned another pastor. I've never mentioned another church in this region or in the world. I don't do that, but I'm, so when I say churches, I'm talking about as a whole, right? If you watch uh, some you watch some Christian TV or you talk to other Christians different places in the world, wherever that wherever you're getting that information, repentance is not a giant topic today. It's much more about who am I, what can I do, what can God do for me? And those things are true principles. They're not speaking lies. It's just a partial truth without the whole truth. And how did all of us begin? We all began with repentance. And then we have, it's very simple, just the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And sometimes I think we don't realize, or, or even if we do in this church, sometimes we don't realize as, a, as Christians, let's just say us, us as a whole in the whole world, what really happened on that cross, what that sacrifice really was. I don't know that we quite get it, and even though we talk, we don't call it a ticket to heaven here, you know, uh, I think still we can't help but think sometimes, Lord, 
I just want to go to heaven, so that means you're the way. That means I want to know you. And yes, on its very base level, that is the truth, isn't it, Dan? I'm referring to Dan because he's our Bible scholar here today. That is the base truth, but that's not the whole truth, is it? If all it was was just you go to heaven, then simple. Jesus says, oh, you believe? Bam. Right? Just plucks us up. But there's much more going on here in the earth than we realize and that Jesus did something spiritually, and this is what we're going to get into today, but then he left 12 disciples, he left 11, then we get a new 12th, and, and he leaves them for a purpose, doesn't he? If Jesus wanted to do it all himself, do you think that Jesus was powerful enough? Do you think that God's plan is powerful enough? Do you think that God was able to send Jesus right back down to the earth right then and there? He was able to resurrect him. That wasn't hard for God. Why did Jesus leave? I mean, we could ask these whys, and maybe we could sit down after the sermon and, and sit down for weeks or years or lifetimes and debate all these type of things of why God does what he does. But instead of debating the whys, here's what I do know. I know that God uses humanity. I don't know the why he picked Adam and Eve and, you know, or built them. He built the first humans and put them there. And he said, okay, now here's what I want you to do. Don't touch that tree and everything is yours. And you have this choice. And, and he knew what they were going to do and allows them to do it. We don't, I, I don't know the why, but I know this. I know that when they made the wrong choice, the Lord said, I've already made preparations to redeem you. And I know this. I know when Jesus left, he said, you're not alone. I've sent the Holy Spirit. And I know this. He said, I'm coming again. But he said, in the meantime, preach the gospel. Spread this good news. This message of hope, it needs to go into the world. And it's not going to be by me. It'll be through you. It'll be by me in heaven, but through you on the earth. Praise the Lord. So what does it really mean? Just this foundational question. Do you ever just stop and wonder this foundational question? What does it mean to be saved? A follower of Christ? A Christian? We're not going to answer that question today because it's such a simple thing, and yet it's such, I always call the Bible a children's book, don't I? Right? Because it really is. The Bible is so simple, it's a children's book. That's how simple the gospel is, but the, the nuances and the complexities of this, the reason it's so big is there's, you know, we have complicated lives and we all have different stories and the Lord's rescuing us from all those issues and bringing us into life. And that comes with lots of little details. And yet it's so simple that I can just say it to a child, Jesus loves you. Do you want to be with him forever? Yes. Amen. That's it. Finished salvation. And then we come out the doors, right, into the world. And immediately we're bombarded by Satan, bombarded by this world. Remember the little, remember against the flow? Who's old enough to remember the little fish? You know, we, people don't know what that Christian fish is on. on the, now they've turned into turtles because evolutionists thought it'd be funny to make fun of Christians in every way. In every single way, you can't have your own, Christians, you can't have your own identity. Everybody else can, but you can't. So he took the little fish, turned it into like some sort of Darwinian turtle fish. But anyway, that fish used to symbolize this, against the flow. It wasn't just a fish because Jesus loved fish. 
It was, you're a little tiny fish in a big ocean, and you're swimming against its current. And what we must realize is this, salvation is so simple, but yet we must be tenacious, we must be so serious about what Christ did for us on the cross. And I want us to see today that a misconception in Christianity is that many think because they say, I trust in God, that he's going to do everything. It is probably one of the biggest and most profound misconceptions in Christianity that because I came to the cross, because I repented, because I said the salvation prayer, or whatever your process was to come to Christ, that that's it, it's sealed, it's eternal, I don't have to do a thing ever again. And I'm not even going to debate your salvation. This is not about did salvation begin there or where does it begin and where does it end. That's not my point. My point is that that's not what you're called. That's not the life that you were called to live on the earth. Whether it's sealed that day forever or it's a process, that's not for me to debate today. But I know this, that the Lord called us to a very serious call when he said, I offer you hope and I offer you grace and I offer you mercy and I offer you life and I'm offering you to follow me into eternity. We can say some true statements like this. We're saved by grace. Who believes that's a true statement? Does anybody know what that statement, though, has turned into? It's a pillar to our foundation. Found, it's a foundational to our faith. Um, but it, it, this is what it can mean for people, right? Who, who believes the truth to I'm saved by grace? It is an amazing pillar to our faith. And yet, to some, it can mean I can just mess up and be sloppy about my Christianity because at the end of the day, he loves me, so I don't need to think about it. Who's ever met, we're not calling names, listen, we're just being real here, but who's ever met a Christian who said, I'm a Christian, they say the word, I'm a Christian, but they live like that. They say, I'm saved by grace, but really what they're saying when they say that, right? I'm not Jesus. No, you're not, but really what you're saying between the lines when you say that it is, I'm living like Satan. Let's just be honest. When you say, I'm saved by grace, what you're saying is, is that, I'll figure things, you know, eventually I'll get my life right. Thank God for grace in the meantime. That's, that's not grace. Anyway, we're not getting into debates. I'm just making some points today. Some people worry about everything. But I was just meditating on this. But some Christians don't worry about anything. Let me say that again. Some people, they worry about everything. But some Christians, they don't worry about anything. And it's true that Jesus expresses to us not to worry because he takes care of our needs. But when he said don't worry, it doesn't mean don't worry. What he means is, because that's impossible, I don't care who you are, eventually there's going to be a worry that's going to get you. You may not worry about traffic, right? That may not be your worry. Some people, that's their worry. And that's okay. The Lord's there with you. But others, when you get a bill, that's your worry. And, and whatever it is, maybe it's the doctor, that's your worry. It doesn't matter who you are. I don't care who you are. You're a Navy SEAL. Eventually, they're going to be honest with you. You know, I was worried. I mean, they still did it anyway, but they're going to get to a place they're afraid. So it's impossible not to worry. That's not what Jesus meant. What Jesus was saying is, I want you to direct. I want you to say it out loud with me. It's the first time I'm making you today. Say direct. The Lord said, really, if we read between the lines of what Jesus was saying, and you understand the whole Bible, and not just picking and choosing words, right? You could just say, oh, the Lord says, don't worry, so don't worry. That sounds so simple when you're worrying, doesn't it? 
Not very easy to hear. That's not what Jesus meant. He said, I want you to direct your worries towards God. This is what Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says. He says, don't worry about anything. So he's saying the statement. But he says this. He says, there's not even a period there. In my translation, the NLT is actually a semicolon. Because we're not finished with the statement, are we? Come on. There we go, Evelyn. Evelyn loves this. There's a semicolon because we're not finished with the statement. We're going to keep talking here. Don't worry, but wait. It doesn't mean just like, you know, just get back in your car and just, you know, it's just a Sunday afternoon. You know, God's got it, right? Sometimes people, they say to you, they pat you on the back and you feel like, man, you know, you're just being passive about it. And this, this is, he said, instead, everybody say instead. So what is Jesus, what is the word telling us to do? What was Jesus telling us to do? Right? He was saying, I need you. I've got it. Come on, let's just, let's just say God's got it, right? But I need you to put some action in the place where worry is trying to camp. And what I need you to do is I need you to take those worries and bring them to me. Listen, if the Bible says pray about everything, what do you think the Bible means? We don't need any advance. Let's just bring the children in. Come on, this is children's church. What does everything mean? Everything means everything. Now, you may know this as supplications and requests. Sometimes people, we read older translations, and then someone just reads supplications. What the heck does that mean? Right? And the NLT just puts it here in just, just plain English, but it, it's a prayer request. I want you to bring requests. You have worries, so come to God. Bring it to the Lord. Tell God what you need. And then there's some more action. Not only that, he's saying pray, don't worry, but pray. So it's not just we don't we just say, Lord, you know, thank thank you for grace. I'm saved. I love you. I'm just not gonna worry. What's the first thing you're going to do? You're going to worry. So he's saying, I want you to put some action to what I'm doing. God's doing it. It's God's power. It's his glory. It's his grace. It's his mercy. Come on. But pray. Tell him what you need. And keep telling him. And then there's some more action. Thank him for all he has done. Now, I'm just, gonna, I'm just bringing up just a few surface examples, but if you begin to go through your word, I'm talking from, even if you don't believe in the Old Testament, you just want to read from Matthew to Revelation. I'm not saying a Christian should do that, but you could do that, and that would be enough, because there is so much in our word that really is, it's about God's power, it's about His glory, it's about Him and it's His kingdom, and yet it's so involved with us. We think, well, doesn't the Lord already know my worries? That's what Jesus said. He already knows your needs before you even ask, and yet he still tells us to pray. Don't worry seems passive, yet God's version of do not worry is pray. It's tell God what you need and take the time to thank him. And then it says this. What's the next verse say? Come on. This is so amazing. Then you will experience, what's it say? God's peace. So I came to offer you a gospel of peace, 
And my Bible says when I get out of peace, how do I get it back? Come to the Lord. It's so simple. It's such a simple gospel, but it requires action. Everybody say it requires action. Sometimes we're sitting around and saying, God, why aren't you doing anything? God, you're not doing it. God, you're not doing it. God, you haven't done it yet. God, why aren't you doing it? God, you haven't done it. God, God, God. And God's saying to you what he said to Moses, haven't I put a staff in your hand? Didn't I put a staff in your hand? Moses says, Lord, what are you going to do about this? We're standing at the Red Sea. God, what are you going to do about this? And God said, he's, he's, taught, he's the councils of heaven. He's just having, did Moses not get it? Like, you know, change the water to blood, staff turn into a snake. God's trying to calculate Moses' brain. Haven't I put the staff in your hand? That's what he's referring to. He's referring to what he had already seen God do through him. The Lord's like, haven't I done it before? Keep doing what I've asked you to do. Just keep doing what you've already been doing. That's what he's really telling him. He's not even telling him to do something new. Just do what I've already been doing through your life. Isn't that amazing? How about this one? Jesus did it, so I don't have to. Anybody ever heard that statement? Anybody willing to? Yeah, Jeannie's acknowledging it. Anybody else ever heard that statement? Jesus did it, so I don't have to. You know, it sounds amazing. It sounds like a good statement. It sounds like, wow, yeah, right. Praise God. He went to the cross, so I don't have to. And yet, it's really just a statement of sloppy Christianity. What that statement means is when people say, Jesus did it, so I don't have to, it's saying, I don't want to do something or pay any price as part of my faith. So good thing Jesus already did it. And yet Jesus said these words. It wasn't, I say this sometimes as if it's more powerful, but who believes that the word is powerful from cover to cover? And yet then we have within that book the red. I don't know, is it more power? I mean, it's all God. But I feel like when I read the red, maybe it's just a tiny bit more power. Because this is like, this is straight from his mouth. Even though I trust the servants who wrote down, I trust the prophets and I trust the scribes. The words in red, this is like, these are my words exactly how I said them. And Jesus said, if you want to come after me, Matthew 16, 24, deny yourself. You can pull it up in the New King James Version. He says, if you want to come after me, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Who believes Jesus went to the cross for you? Right? Who believes he paid the price for you? Who believes it was his blood and your blood will never be enough? Who believes you can never, ever earn his grace? You can never earn his mercy. You could never love him enough for him to love you. He already loved you, my word says, and so does yours, while you were still a sinner. In fact, this is the crazy thing about our mind. I love thinking about time. You know that. That's one of my, like, my little obsessions. My mind just is spinning in time. And 2,000 years ago, he's on a cross. And he's thinking of you 
out of billions of people 2,000 years in the future? Come on, that's amazing. So do you think you could ever love him enough? You think you could ever pay him back? And yet he says, pick up your cross, deny yourself, follow me. See, sometimes people think that these type of statements from a preacher like me is a works gospel. They call it grace or faith gospel versus works gospel. And it's more just gibberish. It's more just Christianese. It's more just gar- It's just the devil trying to bring divisiveness and bring wedges. I'm just quoting the scripture for what it says. Yes, he paid the price, and yet somehow we're intertwined with him to do, to follow in his footsteps, to follow after Christ, to do as he did in the earth. Now, technically, Jesus said to his disciples that you're going to even do greater than I did. Who Who knows that that required some action? In fact, it cost them everything. All of the disciples, every single one of them was martyred. If you read your church history, every single one of them was martyred. Every single one of them did some great and amazing things. You can read your church history. You know, they all went and did things for the Lord, wrote books or went and started uh, churches in different regions, but they all paid an immense price. Jesus did do everything, but we have our part to play. We have entered into a better covenant, the Bible calls it. It's a better covenant. And yet, what is a covenant? Very simply, it's a partnership. A covenant requires two parties or more to basically come into an agreement. And the agreement is, I'll do this, you do that, we shake, we have an agreement, right? They used to have a thing, right? Blood brothers and blood covenants, right? They'd blend some blood together and really, really make a covenant. Well, the Lord made a blood covenant through the blood of Christ with you. He said, I'll do everything, I'll do everything, and you do everything. Wait a second, what did he say? It's not I'll do everything and you do nothing. It's just, I'm really doing everything? I like to think of it like this, you know, and no disrespect to any pilots, right? We had, we had this pilot land in the Hudson River. It's amazing. You know, turned off autopilot, so no disrespect to any pilots. But today's pilots, you know, they got all these computers going. You know, they got the towers leading them. It's not World War II pilots, right? Like just over the blackness of the ocean with no guiding at all. Little tiny dot blinking maybe sometimes. But these guys know exactly where they are. They know where all the other planes are. Oh, there's a storm coming. Let's rise a little bit higher. Let's go a little bit lower or whatever and just guides them right down. And they got their hands on the wheel and they get to wear the white you know, suit and stuff, but what's really guiding these planes today, right? It's autopilot. Again, it's no disrespect to them, but it's autopilot. We all know that. And they're there because in the event that the computer fails, right, there are times the pilot has to take over. And so then he still needs to know what he's doing because he's going to take over for the computer. He's going to fly that plane home, hopefully get you home safe. But I like to think of it like that. The Lord really is the autopilot, and we're just got our hands on the wheel. He wants us involved. We can't just sit back and just say, well, whatever. 
Because there's things that start to begin to happen, and we say, Lord, why aren't you doing it? He's like, well, I still put you in this seat for a reason. I'm guiding you, and I'm doing it, and I, I set the destination. You're not deciding where you go. I already told you where to go. Pilots aren't just flying wherever they want to go. They have a place to get to. That you, I want you at this exact runway at this exact time. So it's like, you know, you're sitting there. You're the pilot, but you're not free. You're not your own boss. You work for me. Amen? God has the power, he has the plan, but the Bible calls us ambassadors. Everybody say, I'm an ambassador. Now, what is an ambassador? Ambassador is an ambassador. Wow, it's quite a word. An ambassador is not the king, and he's not a president, and yet he goes into a foreign land representing who? Yes, in part, the nation, sure, you know, an American ambassador is going to represent America as a whole. Sure, there is a portion of him that's, or her that's that. But where do they, who are they really representing? The leader. They're in place of the king or the president in a foreign land. You know that we are living in a foreign land. This is not your home. Does anybody just need to be reminded again that earth is not our home? The Bible calls us aliens. We are legal aliens. You're a legal alien, okay? The Lord put you here on purpose. You are, this is not your home, but I've placed you here on the earth for a purpose. You are an ambassador, and it's your job to represent me, not with your personality. I don't need your person. I love you. The Lord, let me just say, Jesus says, to you, I love you. I made you just the way you are for a reason. But just for a moment, when you're representing me, I want you to represent me. You don't represent me and you. You represent me. And the Lord knows how to use the place. We talked about this last week, the field you're in. He knows how to use the personality, your birth order. I mean, all of it. All of it is for a reason and a purpose. I'm not taking that away from you. But your goal is not to try to get people to like you or to try to be friendly or funny. Those are fine, but that's not your goal. It's for them to see Christ in you. Praise God. Anybody getting anything out of this today? Some people state that we're freed from the law, as if we're freed from all commands. Well, these, this is actually a really good sermon, by the way. <laughs> I'm not being encouraged. I'm encouraging myself. Some people state we've been freed from the law as if we're freed from any commands. Who's ever heard, I'm freed from the law? And what are they really saying when they say that? I, do, I can do whatever I want. Come on, you've heard, you've, you, we hear these things, and these are just demonic statements that the, just like Satan stole facts from the Bible, not truth. He took facts from the Bible and created a false truth. In the same way, he's doing it in our modern time the same exact way. He takes these facts, which is that I have been freed from the law. The Bible says it. Who in here is freed from the law? We all are. If you are a blood-bought Christian by Christ himself, uh, I mean, set, set, his, set our feet upon the rock. I mean, and gave us strength and peace and hope and the Holy Spirit and so on and set us on our path. Yes, we're freed from the law. And even if you were to draw a hard line between New and Old Testament, 
Do you know that the New Testament has approximately, now there are repeats because we have four Gospels that are the same story. There are repeats, but there is 1,050 commands in the New Testament. I did not say the Bible. So, you know, one of the arguments out there today is that we're freed from the law, which means the Old Testament is irrelevant. So, fine. I'm talking, maybe someone out there on the podcast is listening, and I'm just a New Testament believer. I like to carry the mini book. Well, to you, there's 1,050 commands. Why would God give a people that doesn't need to do anything? You just punch your ticket. I'm saved. Here's salvation. I'll see you at the ship. Oh, John likes my sound effects. I'll see you at the ship, Lord. I'll be there in eternity. Don't worry. I'm going to live like hell till I get there, but I'll see you there. Why would he give us 1,050 commands if they didn't matter? And then people argue, well, it's just to show you your sin. Who needs 1,050 commands to know that you're a sinner? And you think that the world is sitting down and going through 1,050 commands in the New Testament to see that they are? No. We all know we're sinners. The only reason there's so much rebellion is very simple. I want to sin, and I don't care that there's repercussions. Let's just be, come on, can we just be brutally honest here? Just be really honest. You think that the world right now is rejecting Christ because they don't get him? You think that's the real reason? Or is it because they know it's the truth? Somewhere deep inside, come on, all of us that know him the way we do, you knew him even when you didn't know him. I was born and raised in it, but there was a moment at 15 years old. I mean, it took 15 years. of I heard it. I was aware of it. I'm not saying I was unsaved, but there was a moment where it moved from my head to my heart, and I began to know him. But in that time, come on, in that time, I was exposed to the world, and I was well aware of the world, and I was well aware of its pulse. 50% of my dreams were me being kidnapped. And I know today exactly what it was. The Lord was showing me at seven years old and eight years old and nine years old and 10 years old and 11 years old that the devil wants your life and he's trying to take it. The only reason that we rebel, that we don't choose Christ, is because that the world's pullings, they, the Bible says they're pleasurable for a season. And so we choose that over Choosing God, and that's really the world we've come into today in America is what is your impulse? You can do whatever your impulse is. It doesn't matter what it is. Whatever it is, that's okay. And we're just going to redefine them so it feels better. I'm going to leave that there. Faith is an action. Everybody say, faith is an action. James chapter 2, it says that faith without action is what come on mature believers what is it is dead faith without works your translation might say now we think of works as good works that's not what it means it's not you trying to be good or do good things of course they're going to be good because they're from the lord Right? But you're not going to, you can't just go and do good things and go, okay, well, there's proof of my faith. That's not what that means. 
It means I really believe in Christ. I really want to follow him. And I can't help but do what he's calling me to do. It's really hard for me to hate this person right now because everything in my flesh wants to, but everything in Christ in me says love them anyway. That's not works, is it? Well, it's the word works, but that's an outworking of the heart that the Lord has changed inside you. It's not hard once you want to, once you really follow Christ, it's not hard to do what he's saying. It's only hard because I don't want to do it. Let's just be honest. It's only hard to not follow God because we don't want to do it. Every single time. I don't care. You could, you could spend hours with me debating your little personal circumstances and, and it, at the base, at the very bottom, let's just boil it down. I don't want to do what God wants me to do. It's his initiative. It's our response. I want you to say that out loud. It's his initiative. It's our response. And what happens? It's his power that goes out through us. Uh, Annie, I remember she likes this. So I, I brought this back. She said one time that it made an impact. So I remembered that you heard it and it got in your brain and something that stuck. And I said once that we're like a vacuum cleaner. You're just a vacuum cleaner. That's it. It's just a thing without the Lord. You're just a shell. You're just clay. I mean, it's just clay. And from dust to dust, without the Lord, we're just dust back to dust. So here's this thing, and there's an outlet right there and right there. And all of a sudden, there's all this power, right, John? Come on. And right, Jim, this, this room is filled with power right now. Now, it's untapped, but it's here. And you did nothing to get it. You did nothing to earn it. It's there without you plugging into it. Come on. The Lord's grace, his love, his mercy, his salvation, his plans and purpose, his power— that's available to come into your life and work through your life is available whether you plug into it or not. It's already been done. It's like a college fund that, that a parent sets aside, even though their child's nine years old, right? Hopefully to that parent in X amount of years, they're going to take them up on it and use it and go to school. But the parent doesn't say, if you don't love me, you're not getting this college fund. You're not a good little boy or a good little girl. You're not getting this college fund. There might be other repercussions in that story, but that thing is its own thing. It's set aside, whether you're good or bad. The Lord's already got this. He's already got a plan and a purpose for you. He's just looking for you to plug in to his plans and purposes. And all of a sudden, this thing, it's just a thing. It's nothing on its own. But all of a sudden, it begins to clean up the world. And then the vacuum cleaner could be like, man, look at me. Look at what I can do. Look at all this power. And the Lord's just like, oh, okay. 
just un- just I'll just unplug it, show you who you are. I'll just unplug you for a moment and remind you that it's only me, and it's always been me. And you see how, hopefully this sermon's making sense, do you see how it's all God, and yet it could look like it's all you? And that the two, though, whether we like it, whether we understand it, whether we want to debate with God or debate with other Christians, it doesn't really matter. If you look at your word from Genesis to Revelation, God's power and humankind on the earth have always meant to be intertwined. The very first miracle that God performed was when he breathed life into Adam and Eve. Creating the earth, that's nothing. Eh, whatever. Just spoke that into existence. But he didn't speak Adam and Eve into existence. He breathed life into them. God can just speak anything to existence. That's easy for God. But he performed a miracle. He put life into us. Sin got in the way. God just wants life back within you. It's not only for your benefit, which is massive. See, everybody's turned Christianity into me, me, me. Even though it's even though it's this very personal thing. I need to come to the cross, and I need to deal with me, and the Lord's dealing with me, and I'm going to go through this, and I'm constantly dealing with God and going through stuff. And the Lord's like, that's 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 amazing because that I need that to happen. But that's not. Do you think the disciples were like that? I think Jesus was much harsher than we give him, than, than we th- we, we should just quote him. Without attitudes, just quote his words sometimes. You ever just read Jesus' words? I think if you saw the disciples crying, he would say, oh, you know, okay, okay, that's enough. You know, okay, give him, give him some time. He says to Peter, you couldn't even pray with me one hour? I guarantee Peter was really, really tired. It was like the middle of the night, and I'm tired in the middle of the night, and I would have fallen asleep for sure. Plus, they had bread. (laughs) How do you not fall asleep after having bread? They had bread and wine. (sighs) You couldn't even stay awake for one hour? You know what? It's too late. It's too late anyway. I know I'm I'm adding attitude to that. It's just for fun. My point is that, yes, we need to come to the cross. Yes, we have to repent. We have to deal with God. That is the, it is the foundation to salvation, but it is only the beginning to why he still has you on the earth as a saved individual. The disciples were not running around. They weren't going from church to church trying to find somebody to counsel them back into, okay, I can do this. I'm going to be a preacher again. That's it. Going to Macedonia. I just need you to build me up. Where's the next book? I just need to read a book because I'm going to go to Rome. That's it. They got before the Lord, and they dealt with God, and they said, Lord, if no one goes there, then who will tell them? And they realized that God had them on the earth for a purpose and for a reason, and it was not about them. And none of them had anything. None of them had anything to their name. No one gained anything. Sometimes we need to, you know what a line we do need to draw? I believe that more Christians need to do this. 
Maybe we need to go to Christian uh, sec, you know, sections in, in the Christian bookstores, and we need to draw a hard line between books based on Old Testament characters and New Testament characters. If you want to draw an, a hard line, it's, it's the line between the characters. You can take the immensity and the powerfulness and the greatness that God did through David. We just preached on him for two weeks. But you can't just think, well, God just made me to be a king, and unless he makes me a king in this earth, then God has failed me or I've failed. Because we also have to read about Paul, who sacrificed everything. And he went through list after list. I was shipwrecked, and I've been beaten so many times I forgot. And I've been, I've been uh, abased, and I had nothing, and, and everybody made fun of me, and they called me long-winded, and called me short, and called me bald, and I still did it anyway. And yet the Lord was with David and he's with Paul. I'm not saying that one is greater than the other. I'm just saying if you want to draw a hard line, sometimes we have to remember really what happened. After Christ, I don't hear about a lot of Davids. Do you? Sometimes the hard line we need to draw is that once Christ came and he paid the price for us, that he changed some things. He said that your inheritance is no longer here on the earth. I'm not building an earthly kingdom. Israel's done. Come on, guys. The kingdom of Israel's done. The temple's done. They can build another one for it to be destroyed because that's its purpose. That's what Revelation says. doesn't say we're going to worship there. That's not what our Bible says, does it? It's for the Antichrist to come to. That's your Bible. That's not, I'm not making anything up. That's Revelation. There's no more Israel. It might be a nation again, and we love the people, but that's not God's nation like that. That's not, he's not building a kingdom there anymore. I'm building a kingdom in heaven. I'm building an unseen, invisible kingdom. Do you want to be part of my kingdom? Which means you're going to give up everything in this earth to have everything with me forever and ever in eternity. Wow. I didn't expect any of that to come out. Praise the Lord. I had a few things more to say, but I'll leave it there. I was inspired. Really, with this whole sermon, I was inspired, and I was going to get to a whole bunch of text here, but I was really just inspired again if you listen to last week's podcast, that David, he went and got five smooth stones, which was action on his part. And he could have just, you know, when he took off the armor of God, I just was meditating on this all week. When he took off God's armor, uh, not God's armor, Saul's armor, and put on God's armor, which is invisible, isn't it? Which is what? I trust you, God, my salvation, the truth, right? My faith, right? And so on, the gospel. Right? He's, he's putting this invisible armor on, and he went out on the battlefield. You know what? He didn't come unarmed, though. He could have been like, God's going to do this, and just stood there and, and watched Goliath stand there. And then he would have watched Goliath come and kill him. You guys get this. It doesn't matter. You can say all your statements you want to the devil, and you can, you can say, I'm a Christian, and you could say, I'm going to do all these things for God, and then stand there and wait for God, and guess what's going to happen? You're going to die. The Bible says he had picked up five smooth stones and put them in a sack. You know what he pulled out to kill that giant? Five, one of those five stones that he had prepared for. And that's what did it. And yet it doesn't take any credit away from the Lord because you, you think a smooth stone from his sack, you think that's really what killed Goliath? And yet the Lord involved him and it was needed. And then he cut off his head. That's really what inspired this whole sermon was the involvement between God and us. It's that God is in heaven. He's so powerful. He's so mighty. He sits on the throne, and yet he chose 11 disciples that would represent him, that represent Christ. Now, you are me, 
in the earth. People need to, they need, you better be transparent. It better not be you. They better see through you and see me in you. That was the responsibility he gave them. And when, when he said, go and spread the gospel, he didn't say, go and create churches. It never, it's, there's no verses about creating churches. That's fine that Paul and Peter, they did create churches. That's, that's not the problem. The problem was they, that the churches, I'll be careful. The churches have become places that you go instead of being people that were changed by Christ. Amen? We have to be changed by him. That is the whole purpose. I'm just, I'm reminding myself, okay? Like I said, I just began to think about this very basic Christianity. What is it? What are we? Are we doing what you, what your word says, and not just a copy, right? We could easily just be this church. I believe we're all going to go to heaven. The Lord loves us. The Lord, you know, you could do things that are, are amazing, but I, I want to do what his word is asked of us, and I want to be the people that God has called us to be. Who else wants to do that? As the Lord, we just pray. Thank you, Jesus, for this word. I thank you for the power of your word, that it has the power to change us from the inside out. I pray, Lord God, that it would be, Lord, today like a launderer's soap, I pray that it would be a refiner's fire, and that's what you, you prophesied yourself, that it would come. I pray that Christ came. He is the Word made flesh. So I pray today that it would continue the work that was begun at that moment, Lord Jesus, when he stepped foot on this earth. Thank you, Jesus, that you did that for us. You paid a price. You went to the cross. But I pray, Lord God, that you, Lord, would wash us clean, and I pray, Lord, that you would put... You would put inside of us, Lord, your plans and purposes for us. Lord, I pray that you would give us focus that this is not our life, but this is your life. And I pray, Lord, that we would be directed. Lord, all we need to worry about is just keep our eyes on you. What is the next step? I pray today for this whole entire church. You just shine the light on the next step for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord.